listening to Simmering Thoughts, a weekly podcast where host Ryan Akers welcomes you to sit back and enjoy slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. Our anthropology series continues this week as Ryan is joined by Colleen Sharp of the Theology Gals podcast as we continue our conversation about man being created both male and female and how that works out in the home and in society and in the church. Before we begin that discussion, you have just enough time to grab your Bible, find yourself a comfortable chair, maybe even something to drink, and enjoy this episode of Simmering Thoughts. At the end of the day, we've we've learned to be patient with one another where the other one may fall short, Mm -hmm. but then work together so that together we function better and that's that that is the beauty of how husband and wife are supposed to work and and i think and i'm going to spin this to an odd direction because we haven't gone there yet and we're getting close to the end but i'm going to spin it there anyway and i i think that that is part of the beauty of the lifelong adult sexual relationship between a husband and a wife and as you learn each other in that context and, and the beauty of that, as it matures, it should be a picture of how the marriage as a whole is maturing and that we should grow together to mutually edify and build up and to mutually satisfy each other in terms of intellectual satisf- satisfaction, in terms of, of recreation, in terms of sexual need, in terms of all of those different aspects of our lives we should be working together and becoming even more and more as the years go along. One, that whole idea of one flesh, two people, one flesh is a contradiction. It, 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 it seems, it's a paradox. Much like the Trinity is a paradox. It seems like it can't work, but we're called to be one flesh and to be one flesh under God at that. And that was something in our in our pre-marriage counseling that we did that was something that we both agreed on early, that that was something to us that was a picture that we needed to walk toward is that we are we are we are one flesh. It's going to take a while to understand that, but that's what we are. We work together and there are places where my voice should carry the day. And there are times when my voice needs to shut up and listen to her because her wisdom is greater than mine. And I need to be aware of that. And I think some of the complementarian voices that are out there that call themselves complementarian want to say that the man's, it seems like they want to say that might not be their intent, but it sounds like in my ear that they're saying the man's voice is always a, and the woman's voice is always B. And they set that up from the beginning when it's not always so. I I think that's exactly what they're saying. And they use the passage that, um, about Eve being deceived. And they say, see, all women are always deceived. (laughs) I mean, they don't say it right out like that, but I've heard it actually that out. All women are emotional and they don't think with logic and they're not rational and they're easily deceived. I have actually heard that. I've read it as a teaching in a book and I just about hit the ceiling. And that's just okay. (laughs) Any, anyone who knows men and women in life know that there are men that are sometimes foolish. 
Yes. And Sometimes. there's a woman over there being wise. <laughs> so that tells you that is just does not work across the board. Read the book of Proverbs and show me a spot where they talk about the the one who is always wise as a man. What is it? Look and watch the foolish man and learn from him. What does he do? Well, he's emotional. He sees what he thinks he wants and he chases it. That's being emotional. That's not being rational. Uh, that's not being, and it, it, we're not even called to be rational. We're not called to be emotional. We're called to be God honoring. Those are three very different things. Uh, and I, I see that, that on Twitter quite a bit that, you know, you're just being an emotional, you're, 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 they'll, they won't say it about a male theologian, but they'll say it about the female theologian that you're just being emotional about something. Well, I get emotional on Twitter quite regularly. Anybody who follows my feed, I speak generally very gently but there are times when i will put a stake in the sand and hold my ground and and it i don't do it as a reaction i do it as this is the place where i'm standing and i'm not moving because this is the ground and i will get heated at times but i only do it at times and i only do it when i feel like something important needs to be held up and this is one of those places that i actually have had several times that I've stuck the stake in the ground uh, and I've earned blocks because of it, because they just didn't like what I had to say. And, you know, it, it's not a place for, this isn't a place where we can afford to be reactionary. We need to figure out where the, where the, where the center is that we can hold. What is the, the boundary we can hold? And if somebody tries to move us outside of that, we have to say, no, I can't go there. And, and there are some in the complementarian camp that want me to go further than I think scripture allows us to do. And uh, they do it in a way that is condescending at times. And that, that whole idea of women are emotional and men are rational is just abject bunk. It's terrible. Um, and and it, it's, it's, it is, it's speaking in such a generalization, but it's using a generalization to be dismissive there's a difference between a generalization, generalization that is descriptive and one that is dismissive. And if you're using a generalization that is dismissive, in, in my mind, that is really, really getting close to some commandment violations. That, that's a great description. I love what you said there. That, that is the, that's a good way to think of it. And I think at the end of the day, what I think is so necessary is wisdom. And I think sometimes we forget about wisdom. Yes. And what we say and, and how we approach these things. That, that's one of the things as a teacher that and my parents being teachers that they taught me um, is as you respond, what's the reaction that you want from your words? And are your words targeted to get the reaction that you want your words to get? And there are some who, especially online, uh, and, and it's on all the different platforms. So I'm not picking on Twitter. That's just where I spend most of my time. Uh, but there are a lot of folks who don't care what reaction they get. They just want to say what they think is the truth. But a truth spoken with no aim is never going to accomplish any change of opinion. Um, if, if, you, if you ready, fire, aim, no matter how truthful you are, you're going to fall on deaf ears at some point. And they're just not going to listen because you're hitting the wrong target. Uh, if you want to, if you want to change someone's mind, you have to speak in a way that they're, they are able to hear you argue from their point of view and walk them to yours. Don't just stand on the far corner of the field and yell at them because it doesn't do any. And if you shoot from far away, you're more likely to miss anyway. 
And so, you know, that idea of, of use your words to target a thought and direct a thinking a new way. And, and I think so often we fail that. And that's a different discussion, different podcast episode, but it's related to how we interact in and around, especially male-female dynamic in society. Um, we mentioned, or we, I don't know if it'll end up in the final edit or not. For, so those of you who are here this sentence, it might end up in the final edit, it might not. Uh, but we mentioned earlier the uh, Amy Bird book from, I think it was summer 2018. Uh, <laughs> it was called Why Can't We Be Friends, where she looked at male-female friendships. And so many that say a male should never have a private conversation or be in a private room with a female at any time ever, unless they're married. And that just strikes me as absolutely ludicrous. My dad, for really good reasons, taught me that rule as a teacher. And as a teacher, 99.2% of the time, that is true. But there are times when I, I can not do that. Now, do I meet in a room that has no windows and has no ability for somebody to see me while the interaction's going on? Absolutely not. That's because I'm dealing with minors. But if my principal calls me into the principal's office and my principal is female, what do I do? Do I say, I'm not allowed to go in that room with you? That's ridiculous. <laughs> it is abjectly ridiculous. And with the current context of our society and with the things that are constantly coming out, why is a man meeting in a room with a woman any different than a man meeting in a room with a man? Because how much locker room talk has been okay because it's two men in the room and not a man and a woman in the room. And that is just as much a sin as the lust that happens if a man is in the room with a woman and he can't keep his brain straight. Whether they're talking about another woman or whether they're looking at a woman that is in the room, how is that a different sin? It's both lust. It's both wrong. And so should we never be in a room one-on-one -on -one with anybody ever? That seems like a weird rule too. Um, and so it's called prudence and wisdom and having character. And I think that's one of the things that uh, Amy brought out in that book, that, that there's wisdom to be had in, in cultivating intellectual and friendly relationships with folks from another gender that will help you understand yourself and your spouse and the world and God's mission and how we function so much better because you get a better picture of humanity that way. Yeah. You know, one thing that we, if, if anyone's interested, theology gals did two episodes yes. on what Ryan's talking about right now. That's one of the we first episodes to... of you all that I listened to. I was on the, <laughs> I was, I think, were you on the launch team for that also? Yes. Okay. I thought that because yep. we both did that and that was such a cool experience uh, for I've I think I've mentioned on other episodes, but if you've not been on a launch team for a book, it is a is a if they do it well, it is a good experience. Uh, I've done like two a summer over the last few years, and uh, it's it's a really good process to to force yourself to read a book before anybody else is talking about it, other than a group of people, a small group of people, and uh, and to be able to review those and and that's kind of cool as well. But I, I like the ability to get in and read the book without a whole lot of other chatter about it before it comes out. It was interesting hearing the chatter that came out with, before the book was fully released, just when they were giving snippets, how some folks just totally misread what was being said in the book at all. 
but go ahead. Yeah, you were saying about your episodes. Oh, I was just going to say, we we did two episodes, if anyone's interested. One of them, um, I don't remember the exact titles, but one of them has to do with can can Christian men and women be friends? And then um, we did our interview with Amy Bird. So we did two separate mm-hmm. things. But, you know, um, Ryan, you work with mainly women. Yes. You know, and yeah. and so... I'm sure that you have women that you work with that you consider friends. Yes, you know, absolutely. you don't say, I only talk about what is absolutely necessary and only if other people are around. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that you're respectful of them and, and you only behave appropriately and, and whatnot. And, you know, in the, and I had told a story about, because my husband and I, when we got married, we had this rule. We don't, you know, go out with people of the opposite sex. And, you know, my parents actually met working for Billy Graham. So we're like, we'll adopt the Billy Graham rule. And we've been married, I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years. My husband worked with a woman that was his mom's age. So mm-hmm. she was oh, like 25 years older than him. And they were at a training session in another state. And he called me and he said, you don't mind if I go out to dinner with her, right? And I'm like, no, I don't mind. I mean, she was like a mom to him. She, like yeah. most of the time, if they if they lunch together or something, it was her talking about her grandkids the whole time, you know. Yep. And um, and it really made me re- rethink that 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 this is another thing in which wisdom is necessary. It's very different for him to go and have dinner, but if you have this very black and white that it can never happen absolutely never happen and there's you know we're really leaving wisdom completely out well and it it makes me think of how what is it paul says about the law if it wasn't for the law i wouldn't know my sin so i'm going to write this new law that says because of my lust i'm going to do i'm going to not do this what's it going to cause you to do i mean we have wet paint syndrome as humans we see a sign that says wet paint what are we going to do we're going to test it so we draw this line that says, right. do not lust after your coworkers. And we keep talking about it and we keep coming up with this rule. What are we going to do? We're going to build the very thing we're trying to avoid. Let's do, let's talk about, hey, you know what? That coworker of yours, they have the image of God in them. And if you seek to steal their sexuality from you, from them, by you lusting after them, you're stealing from their soul. <laughs> All right, let's talk about that. Now, now I'm stepping on their image of God because I can't respect them. That's my problem. That's not her problem. That's my sin. And it's that's something right. that I've I've learned in in watching other teachers has taught me that more than anything else. And it you know the character of a person of how they handle those types of moments. And you know, I I've got former students of mine that are fellow teachers. These are, these are students that I started teaching when they were, and one of them I started, she was my student when she was in eighth grade. And she's now, she's a musician. She's one of my former students. She's teaching fourth grade. She used to be one of our music teachers. We are colleagues, not just coworkers, but colleagues. And we talk about all sorts of stuff, but we, I don't think we've ever talked about anything there's never been a comment that would even bring you to that. And at the same time, because we deal with music, we, she was on, she was actually, I hired her as a staff member for the marching band and we're sitting there talking about body type and we have to talk about how kids use their bodies and how they move and you know, where your center of gravity is and, and what is it that we're going to do to help that kid come over this problem? You know, I have, I can, I, she's what, she's 27, 28 now. And I could, 
walk watch her walk at the and this happened a couple years ago she walked past the door outside but because i've seen her as a student and and had to coach her through marching man for five years i know how she walks because i taught her how to march and so i learned that and so i see her walk across i couldn't see who it was except for a shadow but i knew who it was because she's a former student of mine and that burned in my memory bank from teaching all of these kids. And I can do that with most of my students because it's a skill that you have to have as a marching band director to know your kids and to know how they move and to be able to coach them to physically move better. What do you do if you're a, a massage therapist? What do you do if you're a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a doctor? Is a doctor a, a, a dentist? What are they going to do? Are they going to are they going to only accept patients from the same gender? I mean, that's difficult. And even then, that's still not a solution because if you think about it, and if you've listened to Rachel Denhollander and the entire story of that, uh, Doctor Nasser always had somebody in the room. Sometimes even the parents were in the room, and he was still doing stupid stuff, vile, stupid stuff. And so, where's the protection even in that? You know, you can still be a a, a sinful jerk with the Billy Graham, Graham rule perfectly in order. Perfectly in order. And you can still be a total jerk. You, you know what? I will tell you that um, we know people that were the most strict about the Billy Graham rule because no one knew who Pence was back yeah. when we were getting married. But they, they were the most strict of anybody I knew. And one of them had an affair. Yep. And I think if you put so that you put so much um, weight on these boundaries protecting you and you're not dealing with how about my thoughts and mm-hmm. um, the way I behave to an, towards another person. And, you know, and I think that I think we're putting the wrong replacing the emphasis in the wrong place. I, I think you're exactly correct. And that made me think of, and I actually have a copy of it sitting next to me. Another book that I was on the launch team this summer was uh, Hannah Anderson's All That's Good. And she took uh, Philippians 4, 8, and 9 and took each of the uh, think on these things, the whole list of that. Each chapter is one of those. And it is a fabulous book. She was on uh, yeah, one I've of the episodes it. last I- fall. Yeah. And and that book combined with the Amy Bird book is just beautiful. And they came out right about the same time. And that, you know, one of them is saying, train your mind to look and think the way God has trained you to think. And the other was saying, as you develop that thinking, this is a way to apply it to relationships. And it was really neat to see those two books kind of work together and even to see those two interact online uh, a little bit here and there around the edges of the books. Uh, Hannah, especially interacting around when Amy's book came out, um, there was a lot of really good conversation that went along with that. And both of them are excellent follows on Twitter as well uh, for just thinking well about how to be wise and how to walk in, in our Christian walk. And uh, I, it, there are, there are actually, and I'm going to say this and there are people who will probably disagree with it. I'll, curious your evaluation of the statement there are people in the complementarian camp who would chide me for saying that i seek out and listen to those two women for wisdom and that i seek out and listen to theology gals for wisdom they would chide me 
for submitting myself to listen to the wisdom of women. And to those folks, I can't understand how you can find that anywhere in scripture. I can't. I, I don't know, Brian, you better be careful because you might learn something from a woman. I know. I think that's like against the rules. But, but how do you... <laughs> that's I'm... the one that always that always gets me when we had Amy on the program and there are men that believe you cannot learn from women. And Amy said, that is silly. Of yes. course men learn from women. If you Goodness. don't, if, <laughs> husband, if you don't learn from your wife, you're going to sleep on the couch an awful lot. I mean, it's just, if you don't learn from your wife, how... If you don't, if you're not making a study of your wife to learn her tics and to learn what cause, how, what is it that drives the clock in her body? What is it that drives her mind? What does it cause her to work? If you're not learning those things and learning how to build up her strengths and shore up her weaknesses, you are being a bad husband, period. And that takes yeah, you learning it, it, from her, you know? I mean, it's just part of. The, that's the relationship is you're learning from each other to become one to make to amplify the good and to shore up and to make stronger the weaknesses that's our jobs right well and if you if you even think about in the context of the church the importance of men and wor women working together yeah. and learning from one another mm -hmm. well and and I'm one of those weird men in the church who actually enjoys being in the nursery. I would rather have, I would rather work in the nursery than teach fourth and fifth grade Sunday school because it just fits my personality better. There's something about babies and me. They, they latch onto me and doesn't take too long and we get along really well and we have fun and I love having that time. And if you think about it, men who are listening to this, that is one time that you can serve in the church and free a woman up to be in a class learning scripture, as opposed to you sitting in the class learning the scripture and her not being able to. And so it's actually an opportunity for me to sacrifice my learning time to allow someone else to learn and in a way that frees them up from what so many people expect them to be doing 24-7. So they go to church and there are so many women that go to church and they do at church exactly the same thing that they do at home verbatim. They're watching children and some of them do it every single week and they don't complain about it. They're serving the body, but yet I have an ability to go into that room and serve and to let them have a break and to let them have a break from that role and to be uh, under the, the teaching of the word. And so why wouldn't I do that? And for those that are, are comfortable teaching the Sunday school class with the children and being involved in the children's ministries, men get involved in the ministry of your church with children because you will never learn as much as when you have to teach theology to kids. It's just the way I've, I've figured it out. When you have to put into sentences the hard things in scripture to where a preschooler or a second grader or a fifth grader has to understand it, you will learn so much. Yeah, that's true. I taught that the two to five year old class for years. And, uh, oh, goodness, the kids would say the funniest things. But I even remember my own kids. When one day, my son said, I have a question. He was four and a half. And he said, if Jesus paid for all my sins, how come he only died on the cross once? 
And so I gave him this answer, right? And he looked at me and said, can you call pastor now and get the right answer? <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> sure that I, I knew what I was talking about. That is hilarious. So. And that, but it, but, but at yeah, the same time, they'll keep you on your toes. They will, and they will absolutely do that. And it doesn't matter the age group in there. Um, I have a hard time doing Wednesday night kids things because I've been with the kids all day. And this is, I've really understood the beauty of serving in that nursery role or in any other teaching role with the kids. Because at the end of Wednesday, at the end of school, I have about an hour and a half to two hours of break before I go into church, and now I'm watching kids again. And I'm already at, at the end of my my margin of error for stress. And me teaching those kids that night is not the best thing for me. I need to be somewhere else than the lead teacher in those rooms. But on Sunday, or I can be in the nursery. It's, a to it's so totally different in the nursery than it is in the Sunday school or in the Wednesday night teaching role for me. But on Sunday... I've taught teenagers and I've helped with some of the little kids uh, Sunday school things. And I've also taught the adult Sunday school. And there are those different ways that you can serve the where you can relieve the burden from somebody else. And I think that's one of the things that's one place where I will take this and, and roll it straight into the church. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens and that goes husband and wife. And that goes within the church. And if we see a way that we can serve somebody else and we have the ability to do so, and even if we can just give them a week off, and allow them to get a breath of fresh air, they will be better at what they do when they come back. And so if, if mom is a stay-at-home mom and she's got three kids that are homeschooling from these different age groups, and then she goes to church on Sunday morning and she does Sunday school with the kids, and then she's in the nursery during service, and then on Wednesday night, when is exactly she under the teaching of the word? Yeah, that's true, especially if you have a, a mom who's having you know, to be out in the cry room with her exactly. kids during church yes. service or and, as a little tiny baby that's not in the oh, nursery yet. Or. Absolutely. And and when when do they get the most of their teaching from the word? And they get that from the moms groups that get together and talk. And those are good. Those are wonderful. They're mentoring relationships at so many opportunities, but they're not sitting under the teaching of the word through the congregation. And there's so much that you can gather from being able to sit and absorb the teaching in a church service from the word that is sung, the word that is prayed, the word that is preached. It is a different type of learning than it is sitting in a group of moms that, that are, that are at the playground talking. It's different and it's supposed to be different. And both are good if they're in the word correctly. And I'm, unfortunately we know that when you're at the playground, there's just as good a chance that the conversation is involving everything except for the word uh, as it is that it's talking about the word, probably more that it's not about the word uh, as from what I've experienced being an elementary teacher. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, it's, you know, we need those times where we're specifically sitting under the teaching of the church. And if we're not doing that, we're missing out. And we do this to the women in our church so often you know, when you when you have a church fellowship, who is it that's it, that's there early setting up the kitchen and setting up the tables and making sure everything's ready while the food's being served? Who is it that's that's not eating while the things are being cleaned up? Who is it that's doing the cleaning up? And the most of the churches I've gone to, 
it's the women that do all of those things. And it's often the same group of women that do all of those things. And it's one of the beauties. It's one of the things I love about the deacon body I serve with is we will walk into the kitchen and say, all right, ladies, you've done enough. Go have a wonderful evening, go home. And we take care of the dishes at the end of the night because they've already done their bit. They don't need to work any longer with that. Um, and, and, you know, just them getting the food onto the table and uh, having it prepared and getting everything organized. That's beyond our, our, the way our male brains function as a group. That's just not what we do, but we can clean and we can do that and we can be a blessing to them and, and serve them in a way that's meaningful and that will give them rest and allow them to rest and be, you know, part of the body at those fellowship times instead of being servants of the body at that point. Our, we're called deacons, right? We're supposed to serve the body. And so that's one of the ways we can do that. And it's not something that most men think about. And it's, it's something that I've seen unique in my church. I don't know if it happens at your church that way, uh, but a lot of the churches where I was growing up and the different places I've visited, it's a pattern I've noticed that usually it's the same people that are doing all those tasks. I think that's pretty common, actually. That the men kick everybody out and take care of it, or that the no, women do everything. No, the common that the women no, <laughs> yeah. that the women do everything. And it's it's and, you know my it's like my husband and I have a thing. You know, a lot of times we'd like to have people over mm-hmm. on Sunday after church, and I usually I my husband he he's getting better, but he he's not the cook in our house. I'll just yeah. say that. So. um I, and I, and I like to cook and I do a lot of the prepping for it, mm-hmm. um, so that I don't even have to do that much on, on Sundays, but it does require some work. And if you look at when the kids were young, I was, you know, getting ready, getting them ready to go and stuff like that. And so on, on Sundays, he always, you know, took care of all the cleaning of the dishes and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And that's just the way that we did it. Yeah. And that was such, you know, I didn't have to worry about that too, you know? Yeah. That's where we doing everything else. Yeah. Well, you can serve your mate, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to, yeah, it's not my best thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Cause it allows you to get a breath and to, to be okay with right. it. And that's part of the reason I, I, I really enjoy having afternoons with my son and goofing off with him for a little while. And, and not every day do we even goof off. Sometimes we come home and I take a nap while he reads a book or he's, watching PBS with whatever happens to be on, uh, which he doesn't really do really well. He tends to have the TV on while he's reading a book um, or playing mm-hmm. with his toys or whatever. He's definitely just like his dad in terms of never doing only one thing. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> you know, it. but we enjoy that time and we get to spend time in the same room together. And that is a time that my wife doesn't have to. And so when she comes home, she can have an hour, just her time if she needs it. And that's okay. And then she, when she's yeah. had a chance to decompress from the day, then we go about our day. I've already had my chance to decompress. We've been doing that since we got home. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Take your time. And, you know, it, for her to cook on a weeknight is ridiculous because she gets out of school and she might be able to leave school by four o'clock. And that means she's home at five o'clock. If she's the only cook, we're not eating till 730 most of the time because mm-hmm. there's just too much to do. And so, you know, I, 
I actually enjoy cooking. I'm reasonably good at it. In fact, when most of the things that are done on the top of the stove, I'm a better cook than she is. Anything that goes in the oven, she's usually better cook than I am. <laughs> she's a baker. <laughs> and so we've figured that out about ourselves as we went through the early years of our marriage, that I'm the better cook and she's the better baker. And it just works. And uh, you know, there's sometimes I get home and I'm just too tired to cook. And that's when she does the hunter gatherer part and she stops at McDonald's or Arby's or Taco Bell on the way home <laughs> and it works. But we, you know, I lived, we, we passed every morning. We'd go to Dunkin Donuts on the way to school. My dad would take us. That was boy time. That's that way our family could function because he was a band director and we never had dad time at night during marching season and during really during the school year. And so we would go to Dunkin Donuts every morning and have 35, 40 minutes of dad time with with the two boys and then mom would come by and grab my brother and take him to middle school and then he, dad would take me to elementary school and it worked that's how we functioned and we ate out all the time my grandmother fussed at my mom for not cooking and my mom said I have a choice i can cook for him or i can eat with them which is it going to be because with the schedule of two band directors it wasn't possible and we didn't lose anything by going to Frisch's or Gold Star because we still had family meal. We had the opportunity to talk. We had the opportunity to to uh, go to performances. I learned so much theology from sitting in the car and helping my mom practice for her singing performances that would be coming up. There are still songs that she sings that float through my head and that my dad would sing. There's all sorts of things, you know, there are choir pieces that they conducted over the years that are stuck in my head because we would use that. We would use driving time for practice so that when we were together at home, we had family time and we were able to, to structure our family to fit our lifestyle to have good family events. And we're, you know, every family has to figure that out differently. Uh, and it looks different based on what you do, you know, a college professor their life is going to look very different than a day laborer at the, that, that works at the assembly line down the road. Those are two totally different jobs. And they're going to look different in the home. They're going to look different husband and wife. They're, they're going to look different uh, in so many different ways. But that doesn't mean they're unbiblical unless they're unbiblical. There's so many different ways to be biblical in, inside of that window. Well, I think, I think the thing that you're, out, that you're outlining too is that I think that we it, we have something in us that makes us think that everyone should look like us because we actually at the end of the day are actually pretty self-centered. Um, but my mom, my my mom was a a single missionary before she uh, got married. My my parents were a little older when they got married, so she was a single missionary and she grew up on the mission field too, because her parents were missionaries. Um, and then, um. She was a, a single missionary before um, she met my dad. And, but she said living in other countries was really a big learning experience for her because I don't think that we even consider just culturally. If you, um, you know, think when we were talking earlier about, about when, you know, the expectation that some men have or some people today have that women absolutely cannot work outside the home mm -hmm. that where my mom was in Zaire, that's not a possibility. No, everybody works to make society function <laughs> where in the village. They, you know, they're at. 
And we don't even think about that. I think we're so, you know, we, we just think about how things are here in our country, but that's not even a possibility in some places. And we have to, to spin C.S. Lewis's chronological snobbery line. We have a sociological snobbery about us uh, in the West that we look at those other societies and so many of us look down our nose at that, forgetting that several, you know, not that long ago in our own town, in our own situations, it was similar. My great grandparents in North Dakota lived in a situation that was much like that, you know, homesteading in North, North Dakota in the middle of nowhere. Everybody pitched in. I think about the, the, uh, the barn raisings and the and we talked about that at, in the work episode. Right. You think about that and you, the 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 big county, you know, <laughs> to to steal from Broadway. You think about Oklahoma and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Those movies mm-hmm. resonated for a reason because at that time that was a cultural memory that made sense. And so, because it made right. sense, we have to ask the question now: Why did that make sense only a hundred years ago or fifty years ago? Why is that making mm-hmm. sense then, but it doesn't make sense to us? And that's because we haven't experienced that kind of community effort to accomplish a task because we've managed to do it with equipment instead of the community. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Um, I know we have to wrap up here, but um, <laughs> my mom said it, that it actually was always harder to come home, uh, to come back here. Mm-hmm. than it was to go which you I mean I would think like you know having never been on the mission field I would think it would be the op- opposite like oh it'd be just so hard to not have those comforts of life I'm accustomed to or you know whatever but she said it was just it was very hard because you see how people other places live and you mm-hmm. come and just see how much here we just kind of take a lot of things for granted we do and that you know, plays out what, in what we have yeah, and that plays out in our relationships and our expectations of each other. Um, hmm And that's that's very true. And we let those really point. we let those sociological uh, realities. They're real. They're real. They're not imagined. It's real sociological realities that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. That we let those color how we read the Bible. And this comes back to something you said way back. Instead of starting with sociology and then going to the Bible. We have to start with the Bible and work right. with sociology. And that's why that's part of the reason we're doing this series on anthropology is because most of the fits and arguments that we see today are where the Bible disagrees with modern society on anthropology. Um, and that that major picture of this is what the world sees man is and this is what God says man is. That difference right there, the sinfulness of our misunderstanding ourselves, when we get that right, it cleans up a, a whole lot. And now the next step, <laughs> the first step is really understanding God. And we kind of dealt with some of those things last last season. But as we bring it forward to here, and, and we're going to bounce this probably into a study of Christ, of, of how does this function, how do we function as humans, to understand that helps us stay away from sin easier if as i've learned more about myself and how i function from what the bible says i function as helps me understand how not to sin better when i try to do it society's way i end up sinning more yep 
So, well, it, these are good things I think to think through. They absolutely and I think are. it's helpful to discuss them and and you know get other people to think about some of these things too. Yep. Uh, well, I, we have gone a lot of different directions with this episode, not necessarily sticking to uh, what we started with, but that's okay because it has been really revolving around that same topic and, and how that, you know, there's spiders that go out from uh, male and female being created male and female and how that functions uh, that go into all sorts of different directions. And we've, we've actually gone enough that I think this is probably going to be two episodes and that's not a problem. Uh, that actually helps me okay. uh, with the schedule. It's awesome. Uh, but uh, as we do close up, uh, I want to thank you for being on and, and coming on and the support that you've given me as a podcaster. Uh, Theology Gals is, uh, in terms of listenership, they have more episodes, more listeners, I think, in one episode than I've had for the entire run of Simmering Thoughts at this point. But that's okay. Different niches. And uh, that's one of the things that Colleen has taught me. Uh, and and shown me and helped me to 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 reground myself every so often as I uh, am figuring out exactly where this is going to go. Uh, but a, a whole lot of support that she's given me. I want to thank her for that, and also for being on today and and being able to talk through these interesting conversations and uh, encourage everybody to go listen to the the podcast, the Theology Gals podcast. Uh, and for those who haven't found it yet, maybe you could direct them some places to go find Theology Gals and also to find you on social media. Yeah, so um, theologygals.com, you can find us there and we're pretty much on any podcast app you have, iTunes, mm -hmm. Spotify, um, whatever you use. And then also, if only if you're a woman, you can join our Facebook group. And we have a Facebook page with just Theology Gals and you can come like us and follow us there if you know, if you're a man or a woman, but only women can join our Facebook group. We have a Facebook group with almost, we're getting close to the 5,000 number. I'm thinking like the, the whoever ends up being the 5,000th person, we have to like give them a prize or something, but uh, it's a, it's got a longer name. So Theology Gals Reformed uh, Ladies Discussion and Encouragement and you know, a uh, great group. I, I'm so grateful. It's really the members of that group that make the group what it is. And yeah. I'm pretty strict in there. I got my, uh, my mom stick on. So I don't put up with, you know, I, like, I like to say, we are not a debate group. So yes. I, I get kind of shoo people away when they want to start debating. I'm like, you can debate so many places on the internet. This isn't one. Yep. <laughs> we, we really want to focus on encouragement and discussion edifying discussions um makes me think when you were talking earlier about what your parents had taught you ryan um about you know when you're discussing things it reminded me of what i taught my own kids where when they would say something since I, you know you can imagine four boys that are mm -hmm. close together that i'm raising them sometimes they would um I, one of them would say something they shouldn't say to their brother and i'd say well why did you say that and they'd say but it's true and I'm like, well, I don't care if it's true, you know, like, you know, it, so your brother gained a little bit of weight. It's not helpful to say, boy, you're getting fat. I mean, I don't right. care if it's true. It's just not, it's not helpful. It's not kind. It's not fruitful. You know, Truth. what's going to come of this? And, yep. and I, I try, I hope for that in the group too, that, um, that it's fruitful, that the yeah. conversations are fruitful and we see so much ugly 
all over in Christian circles, some of the ugliest stuff. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, among Christians actually. And so I try to stay away from that and really try to have fruitful, encouraging conversations. So that's it's what a, we're about. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing to see the difference between truth and wisdom. When you really start digging into the word, uh, into the, and we may, may, that may be a, an episode down the line, but the difference between what is true and what is wise to be said. And we are called to speak. Yes. Tr- we're called to speak truthfully, but we're called to speak with wisdom. Uh, and those are two very different topics. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is actually, and I've said it on Twitter a couple of times. I think I had a tweet recently because of a situation where I think people were saying things that were true, but I really didn't think they were necessary or wise at the time. And, you know, and I said, I think it's a good time for a reminder just because something is true doesn't mean you have to say it out loud or write it on Twitter. Uh, well, you know, and I think that's it. We don't always have, yeah, I have a friend who says that she's kind of learned to, when she feels strongly about something and wants to respond, that she actually makes herself wait a few minutes. Yep. There's a, uh, a famous musician quote. It's usually attributed to Beethoven. Uh, I've seen it attributed to a lot of other people, and there's variations on it that you'll hear in different contexts. In the jazz idiom, they tend to say, the right note played at the wrong time is a wrong note. The wrong note played at the right time can sometimes be the right note. Uh, In the classical idiom, it's just the right note at the wrong time is a wrong note, and the wrong note at the right time is still a wrong note. You have to play the right note at the right time to be the right note. And so as we speak to each other, we can say the right thing at the wrong time, or we can say the wrong thing at the right time. It's when we get those things lined up that we're able to edify each other. Wow, that's a really good analogy. I never thought, I mean, I know I know the quote, or at least that quote or one similar that you're, you're saying, and that really does fit with what we're saying. <laughs> and it and it so fits into how we treat each other in, in how my wife and I take how our relationship works and deal with somebody else as we're mentoring another couple, as we're being coached by another couple, as we're being mentored by another couple, whatever it happens to be. If we speak it the wrong way, it's not going to be heard. If we speak it at the wrong time, it's not going to be heard. It's useless. And so we have to be we have to match our words to the moment. And uh and that's kind of what yeah. simmering thoughts is kind of about. That's that's slowing down and not being in a rush to to think about what we say before we say it, and um, and and understanding that we're 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 working together as Christians to live up to Christ's uh, example and calling and actually we need to unlock the phone first. What in the world was that? <laughs> My, well, I have no clue what my phone, what my, that was my computer. Oh, even. That wasn't one of the right. phones in my in my room. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but we have to, we, <laughs> we, we need to seek not only Christ's example, but also the calling that he's given us and uh, the holiness that he is and that they call, that we're called to, we're to work together to accomplish that. And, and this plays into the male female discussion that we've had all along. And we're going to close with this, that we are called to complement each other in the church we're called to complement each other in friendship we're called to complement each other as mates 
uh, with one specific mate per person, please. Uh, <laughs> we're called to complement each other as parent to child because the parent learns as much from the child as vice versa in many cases. Uh, and in so many ways, God is calling us to work in his kingdom along with him. And I know there's a lot of theology that goes into that. That's not, that's a totally different discussion, but we are to work inside his kingdom. And that means we are working with him in some form or fashion and how that looks specifically depends on your theology, but we're still called to that point. And those are all things where we have to submit ourselves in love and to lay down ourself for another. And if, if you aren't looking like that in your relationship with your spouse, in male-female friendships, in friendships in the church, if you're not laying yourself down for the good of the other, you're failing the calling that we've been called to. And I don't say that to beat you over the head with a stick, with the law, but to, to hold up a picture of, of we're supposed to do this and say, hey, we're supposed to do this. Whether you're, We're all failing at it but that should be our aim. And um, so many today aren't saying it that way. They're holding up the picture and then they're taking the picture and bashing somebody over the head with the picture. <laughs> and that just doesn't, do, that doesn't get the job, doesn't get the picture across. Did, did Christ beat us over the head with the cross? No, he took the cross on himself instead. So we're going to close with that thought. Um, Male-female relationships, are we taking up our cross in that relationship. And, uh, that's something for you to simmer on for a while until the next episode. Uh, it is approaching summer. So vacations are coming. So we may not be exactly uh, ex perfect on an episode every week. I'm going to try to get it as close as I can. Uh, but, uh, hope you all continue to listen to simmering thoughts. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. Uh, and we pray that you will take the time to think through these things. Uh, and if you get the opportunity, we'd love it if you would find us online and subscribe to the podcast. Go visit the website, simmeringthoughts.podbean.com. Uh, you can send us email if you want to respond to something that we've said today. Uh, you've already got Colleen's email. Mine is uh, simmeringthoughts. Ah, can't speak. Simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. You can find me at Twitter at manmanacres at gmail.com or the podcast at Simmer Thoughts. Uh, we're also at Simmer Thoughts on Instagram and on Facebook. And we have a Facebook discussion group as well, even though not a lot of people are discussing in there. Uh, it's places that I get to post things and, and folks react. They just haven't said a whole lot yet. Coming soon, hopefully. Uh, and I love to have the opportunity to, to get feedback from folks. Uh, so please let me know what you think and share with us uh, what, what you're learning from the discussion and share this discussion with others as well. We really want to do that. Thank you all for listening and have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. You can join the conversation by emailing us at simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at SimmerThoughts where we have a page and a discussion group. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Simmer Thoughts. You can find past episodes of Simmering Thoughts on a variety of podcast catchers, including iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe and share Simmering Thoughts with your friends. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Simmering Thoughts.